Three, two, one. Welcome. This is Hellzilla Weekly, episode number 20, coming out to you live from sunny Singapore. It is a beautiful Sunday um, here in Singapore, indeed. Still under lockdown, obviously, um, even though a lot of nations are opening up. We here in Singapore are mostly still under, um, not lockdown per se, but, but not allowed to, uh, to do many things. But uh, nevertheless, I hope you are doing well, uh, staying healthy and sane and building up your healthy habits um, wherever you are in the world. And obviously, did you know that the HealthZilla app does read and analyze 20 different data types from different health, fitness, nutrition, and mindfulness apps and wearable devices and helps you to track, build, and sustain a set of healthy habits in the long run as well. Now, go ahead and download it for free now on the Apple, uh, Apple App Store and on the Google Play as well, which we are very excited about. So go ahead and try that out and try out the, uh, the fingertip stress can and get building your healthy habits indeed. Now in this, uh, this week's episode, we are focusing on uh, running for health and, and how running can actually health help you uh, building your healthy habits um, and obviously achieve your goals elsewhere in life as well. We have some excellent, excellent guests um, uh, again on this podcast. So I'm really, really excited to, uh, to get on uh, with, the, with, the, uh, with the discussion. From the Healthzilla team, we have uh, Aki Ranin joining us as well. Hi, Aki. How are you? Very well. Good to be here again. How's your, break. how's your day so far? Uh, it's okay. Sunday for me is always the um, sort of, I guess, day off in many senses. Uh, uh, less work. There's always some work, but less work. Um, some training, but less training. And, you know, I, I do like to spend a bit of time uh, cooking and maybe a glass of wine, things like that. Sounds really nice. Um, and our special guest for this week's episode is Mr. Marcus Knirk. Uh, Marcus is an investor. Um, he is the co-founder at Trib Group. Um, he built sustainable future through his work um, in Ocean Works. He has a venture in performance nutrition and energy bars specifically. He's currently based in Vietnam. He's a competitive runner and avid reader of history, so a true superhuman himself. Welcome, Marcus. How are you? Hey, thank you. I'm well. Thank you. Happy Sunday. How is the day so far in Vietnam? Pretty good. Finished another training session this morning. I was battling up a mountain here in middle of Vietnam and um, got down again safe. <laughs> and now I'm, uh, yeah, just uh, recovering from from the training session. So pretty happy. Oh, All my hormones are going crazy. Endorphins through my body. It feels pretty good right now. And yeah, that that's the that's the awesome feeling when you finish finished up a a heavy training session to get those um, endorphins running, right? Mm. Now, um, Marcus, could you give us a, a sort of short introduction to, um, to yourself and, and your journey towards um, health and fitness? Yeah, sure. Um, thanks for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. I um, live in Vietnam, as you correctly said, spent lots of time also in Singapore and have been, like many people, active for decades now, it feels like. have um, been a very active uh, athlete in my teens. I was a middle distance runner on the 800 meter distance in Germany, um, did fairly well there on certain events. And I think I never stopped really running since then. Um, took a bit of a break during my uni times and um, rediscovered trail running when I was in Singapore, given it's a 
concrete jungle and having Macritchie Reservoir, which is the nice little national of uh, Singapore, that was really an outlet to be part of nature again. And um, yeah, so the last few years I spent more focusing, more time focusing on trail running and fitness. And if you then start to do a 10K and 20K, at some point you want to do a 30K and a 40K and then you do multi-day, and yeah, and then the sky's the limit. And alongside, the more you build up this endurance and the, the, the mileage, you, you realize you also have to focus on other sides, which is nutrition, which is recovery, which is uh, your lifestyle in general. Um, and mixing in is all this, the business side. How do you, you know, make sure that it's complementary with what you do in your in, in your in your business life. Um, so the journey took me a bit more from the competitive 800 meters, uh, short distance, middle distance, to now long distance running. And hence, I'm spending more time in Vietnam and, and being part of the endurance um, community here that's very much uh, fast growing in, in this part of the world. Oh, that, that, that sounds absolutely awesome. Now, in terms of the, the trail running, what, what is your current focus in terms of the distance? Is it, 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 you mentioned multi-days and shorter ones, but do you have like upcoming competitions coming up or something which you are training towards? Yeah, um, I have, I really enjoy multi-day. So I like to cross things. <laughs> so I think last, two years ago, I did a um, the coast to coast race, for example, in New Zealand, where you cross the southern island from the west coast to the east coast in two days. It's running, cycling, kayaking. Pretty awesome event. Um, last year, I did a trans alpine run where uh, I think for eight days you crossed the Alps from Germany down south to Italy. Um, there was endurance sports, and now in Vietnam, given that the races are back up again. We have the first event coming up in two weeks, in fact, and the Dalat Ultra Trail. I'm going to compete on the 45-kilometer distance there. Not the longest distance, not the shortest distance, but I like, I like speed and I like to, to bang it out. So 45 kilometers is a good distance for me to, to compete. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's kind of my focus. It might change again afterwards. Now that's that's awesome because I I sort of uh, thought thought my own uh, 50 kilometer MSIG Action Asia Trail run uh, two years ago, which I did here in Singapore. I thought that was a long one, but I'm nowhere near near to the distances you are um, you are obviously doing. That's that that sounds really um, really interesting. Uh, so you mentioned that 45 kilometers for you is a sort of a fast one. Um, what 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 sort of uh, time uh, goals do you have for that? I mean, it depends a bit on the elevation. And I think that's the beauty about trail running. It's every single time it's different. I mean, you have a hill, or you have several hills, different climbs. And depending on the strategy, I mean, you either run up or you walk up. And, you know, then depending on how you run down again, you it makes there are different races. So uh, it can be anything from four hours to, to six hours, uh, yeah, yeah. depending on elevation gain. Um, as you know, it's, it's really every time a bit of a gamble. I like this about trail running much more than about road running. Road running, you, um, you know, it's very kind of planned and you know your times and you know your splits and you go for it and you hammer down the road. Mm-hmm. And to trail, it's much more about how you work with your head, how do you work with your strategy, how do you work with your competitors who, you know, what are they strong at? There's many, many more variables in trail running that to, to look at. And I like that. So, yeah, um, yeah 45K is 
normally, however, it's yeah between four hours maybe to five hours. If if, if uh, it all depends on the elevation, though. Indeed, indeed. Now, um, you you mentioned that you've basically been been running all your life um, since you were a kid, um, as mm. well. So, can, what's your journey into, and how how do you currently combine um, your training regime um, into your like busy investor and work life um, and how do you like like build that into your healthy habits as well yeah I think I've been very lucky to be honest that I was introduced to running and especially kind of somewhat sprinting and like middle distance running fairly early in my life which gave me very good form um, I my coach back then was very keen on making sure that my posture um, and my stretching and my recovery is, is well, well taken care of. And so I've been very lucky in Touchwood, never had any injuries so far, um, despite short distance, long distance. And I think that's where the form, you know, your, your stride, your upper body strength, your core strength, your glutes, all these, you know, need to be in place and taken care of. Otherwise you do have injuries coming up fairly fast. And, um, I think the, I realized I have to do something, however, with that form, it was a good start and good foundation being already in place. But then two years ago, when I started to do long distance, I also realized I need to do more than just that. I need to look into nutrition quite a bit. I need to look into my, my gear, you know, what kind of shoes am I wearing? Um, and yeah, recovery again, big part, sleep, sleeping patterns. Um, and yeah, so my routine kind of evolved a bit into um i'm not a morning runner i actually don't like at all getting up in the morning early and running right. i i can i can run in the evenings it's i don't know if you give me a four or five a.m run i'm very grumpy and <laughs> not in a good mood <laughs> uh but if you give me a six six p.m run i'm all up for it so i've been doing this mainly in the morning i um normally do yoga every day it's a perfect complementary exercise for stretching the entire body and I really, really recommend anyone to do yoga or bar or Pilates, some other stretching hmm. to complement and run. And unfortunately, runners don't do this too much. So morning yoga, evening running, um, and with all around that, the last two years, again, nutrition, I moved quite early away from eating any kind of meat just because I was doing my own testing with, you know, I had a burger in the evening and then I ran the next day and I looked at my results and I did the same thing again and I looked without a burger and then ran again and I realized I'm slower and more sluggish. Yeah. And so I cut out red meat, uh, I cut out white meat um, and that has really gone me a big boost to my speed. Um, and then I doubled down on vegetables. I'm big on kale and guava and sweet potatoes and the likes to really go into, into that and more and more nuts to keep up the protein um, and so on and so on. I think that was a big step. I'm, I have somewhat of a vegetarian diet now. So I'm vegetarian mainly. And then I normally don't eat much dairy because again, that yeah, is yeah. kind of making me slow again. And then lastly, I think with the gear, I tried a few different things, but I settled now with midfoot running where I'm using certain type of brands that encourage you to rather run midfoot or the forefoot. 
rather than the you know the, the heel which is normally the most common shoes unfortunately um and that's really helped me again to to prevent any injuries and it feels very light and very good now to do more midfoot forefoot running um so yeah again there's a bit of a journey it all comes down to experimentation uh, i guess that's what i'm really right. used to to build measure learn typical startup approach to, to life uh, you know you you test something and you look into the data you look into your own feeling and combine those and then you know take the next step absolutely uh, what, what 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 how does your um training schedule look like currently i train pretty much every day um so i run six times a week and then again every morning i do yoga then i add on twice a week probably strength sessions so i'm doing lots of core um training just to make sure that again for the trail running bit it's quite important to have a strong core um yeah so and then on the running side i do one to two speed sessions so for example eight times thousand meters or 12 times 400 meters just to get the speed in and on the weekends it's quite a bit of long runs the usual long runs so 25, 35, yesterday did 48 kilometers um, and just, you know, get the endurance in. And then if I can, I get the climbs and the elevation in as well, depending on where you live. I mean, right now I live in Saigon, not many mountains there. So you have to travel a bit to, to get the elevation. In. But yeah, so that's kind of the, the schedule for me. Um, and and trying, yeah. That, it, it does, I mean, your training schedule sounds, it, it does sound like almost a professional training schedule because obviously um, what you're uh, experimenting with yourself, trying to always improve your, your, your performance and timing and all that, it, it does take quite a big chunk from your, from your, from your day as well. Um, how, do, how can you sort of combine that with your professional life, with your career and, and stuff? I guess that's the benefit of being an entrepreneur or being bit more independent from any kind of boss mm -hmm. <laughs> where I mean I believe in a fairly comprehensive and holistic way of life where you combine your strength and your passions um, with tribe being an investor and that's one story we we stopped investing last year given the circumstances of the world economy we wanted to wait a bit <laughs> so at the moment we are uh, looking at our portfolio and we're managing our portfolio i'm part of oceanworks which is a platform to connect the buyers and suppliers of ocean plastic um that's you know um that's a uh, lots of emails and calls and you know um, and then with energy bar company uh here here in vietnam it's again it's fully into running and you know i it's it's i'm really embracing this community of runners who are looking for good nutrition and looking for healthy nutrition so it's kind of you know i, I train with my customers and my clients and my you know, partners so it's it's just one it's one big soup in a way it's not really separate yeah, yeah, yeah. so um i think that's really the, the benefit of having a good flow and being aware of where can you add value to yourself and to your community and 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 making a business out of it yeah. um so it's not that i have to say it's from nine to five i have my 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 work and then i go running it's really um you know i got i, I i'm testing my own products a lot i'm i'm in the mm -hmm. woods in the forest a lot with my products i take my friends out to running and we test my products and we i go home and we make it better again you know how do we have better nutrition for example so it's a it's quite a nice um way of combining it yeah oh that that, that sounds absolutely fabulous i'm a big fan of 
ditching the idea of uh, work-life balance because why would there be a difference between the two it's just lifestyle right that's it's like the yeah ultimate. i call it work-life integration it has to be that's integrated your, to yeah, each other you know yeah yeah absolutely following your passion and making that um, you know uh, earn some money for you as well and that would be the ideal position to be in now uh, as you are sort of uh, very high performance athlete and you work out and you train to improve every day you, you mentioned earlier on the use of data to uh, to improve yourself um, in in all aspects um how do you incorporate wearable tech in in your training and lifestyle yeah good question and aki and i have talked about this for quite some time now um where i probably have aki sitting on the data focus side and I'm probably a bit on the other side so mm. far where I haven't really looked into much data to be honest. Um, I've been really just trying to listen to my body. Um, recently, however, I got a new running watch to my birthday yeah. <laughs> and that opened another universe of data to me with anything from heart rate to, you know, I just imagine I haven't never ran with heart rate so far. I mean, this is really now for the last few weeks, the first time running with heart rate. Uh, and looking into training effects and different type of zones, and it's it's a nice it's a nice way for me to see at what point of the run do I have a spike and what kind of zones am I in. But I have to admit that for the long long distance, you just have to get it done. Just just run. Exactly. <laughs> um, and and if you are more for speed, like for a 10k or for like a road marathon, you do have to really you know control your data and your pace. It's yeah, I mean. The biggest, I can tell you right now, my watch, I use the most elevation gain, the setting, just to see how much further I have to mm -hmm. climb up the mountain. Um, but then I think the other point on data maybe is to just watch my sleep. Uh, so I really make sure that I get seven and a half hours of rest every night. Um, that's been just tracked by my alarm clock, not necessarily yeah. by any kind of variable device. So I'm not the biggest data fanatic in that sense because... It just seems to work, and I've been testing and testing, testing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I, I guess it, go ahead, Aki. No, yeah, I was just going to drill into that a little bit um, because you know you, you've been running, I guess, forever, um, and you you've had sort of, I guess, more more structured mm. guidance in terms of coaching and things you mentioned. But I, you know, when I think of you know what's what's the sort of major use case for data and in, in, let's let's say like professional sports broadly. I think the the sort of uh, companies that pioneered this, you know, heart rate variability analysis mm. have been always kind of quite strongly associated with professional sports, i.e., you know, to sort of quantify not only, I think, recovery, but primarily probably to sort of optimize the uh, training volume and intensity. So, you know, given that you've, you've sort of traditionally been more gut feel oriented, I just wanted to drill a little bit into like, I guess in the past, but also now, how, how do you optimize sort of training volume and intensity? Is it just like you, you feel good or you don't feel good? Or is there more depth or some, some sort of rules of thumb that you've accumulated just from kind of coaches in the past? How, how, do, you, how do you do that? Yeah, good point. Thanks for digging deeper there, Aki. And um, it is actually interesting that when you do have a long session and or you know, short burst session, how you feel afterwards. And um, the different data points, so to speak, for me, um, there's clearly just a simple recovery, then there's nutrition, and then there's the 
um, just mental capacity as well. So I think I'm fairly good on just listening to my body and say, my legs are tired, that's it. Um, I get that now since I'm uh, 14, 15. Um, nutrition is always something I'm not fully there yet, to be honest, because there's so much more to explore and it's protein intake. You know, I know that I have to take between 70 to 90 grams of protein a day now. So I try to make sure to, to really consume that. Um, calorie wise, I'm, I think I'm, I kind of fairly okay. Um, sleep wise, I'm okay. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's how do you reconcile that with the data? And, and, um, it is interesting now that my watch, for example, tells me, all right, uh, to reconcile that with how I feel. And, and I think actually it's fairly accurate when it says 1.7 days until full recovery. It, that's also how I would feel, um, at the moment from what my body is telling me but i'm actually very curious honestly if i would invest in something i would invest in the whole nutritious nutrition part to like what kind of how can i customize nutrition even further so that i can recover and you know prepare better um because i feel like this is a field i'm i'm not fully there yet yeah yeah and are there any leading indicators you just mentioned something like well you know your your feet hurt so maybe i won't run more today so that that's kind of a, a pretty good short-term indicator but are there things if you think in the past that that tell you that you're now overall you're doing too much you're maybe working too much you're yeah. traveling too much you're training too much you're not sleeping enough you're not eating the right foods like is are there certain indicators where you start noticing whether it's something like you're you, you just you know can't go to sleep as easy or or you don't feel your sleep quality is as good or your appetite goes down or because you know since you don't have the the structured uh, hard data are there these sort of more more clear indicators when you're listening to your body what are where are the signals uh, you're looking for mm, yeah uh, last year I did experiment um, in, in order to prepare for my eight days trans alpine run which was in September I think in August or July in Singapore I did a experiment to run I think 12 days every day, a half marathon, something like that, just every day, back to back. Wow. And um, again, nothing big. I feel like these days everyone's doing this in COVID Singapore. Everyone has too much time and everyone is kind of <laughs> doing a marathon a day. Um, but back then with, 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 with normal working life, that was kind of my challenge. And I started to feel after day eight or nine that I became addicted to running. I became addicted to the endorphins. I I had only running on my mind. I felt my mood change significantly. I got much more swings in my mood. I got much more stressed for a little, like for no reason. Um, I started to really feel drained, like almost like an addict, you know? Um, and I think that's where, you know, my hormonal system was really screwed up given I put myself under so much stress every day with running and not giving myself a full break. Um, especially in humid, hot Singapore where you have to really watch your, you know, your sodium level and you know, your electrolytes. And that was, was a fascinating challenge there. So yeah, that was really where, um, I felt that just that my, my mood changed quite a bit. And the second experiment to kind of to touch on this was doing then my eight days of running across the Alps, which included altitudes and elevation gains. Um, on day six and seven, I just felt my mind becoming very dizzy. My awareness was just lacking. Um, I didn't see rocks anymore that clearly. 
Um, you, you felt everything was getting a bit more foggy and cloudy. So I think just this really where, again, the body kind of keeps operating, but then the brain and the head and the mind starts to feel tired and moody. And, and that's, where, that's where I felt, okay, I'm probably pushing it to the, to the limits now. Um, yeah, to, to answer the question in this way, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, you can't say for sure, but I, w- I would bet a pretty good sum of money that if, if, you know, we had your heart rate variability measured over that time, you would have seen, you know, a, a big yeah. systematic uh, downtrend, i.e. the more you're doing, the worse things are getting. Because in, in some sense, you know, you, you, you can't really lie to your body. Those, those signals, um, they're basically products of your, you know, endocrine system and your yeah. hormone system and your yeah. central nervous system. They're all kind of sending their red flags. And, you know, I, I think the reason I sort of, when I found heart rate variability, this was maybe five, six years ago now, I was really impressed with it as a single metric because mm. it's, it's one of those things where like all those things you're saying, you know, you're clearly, cause you've been running and training your whole life. You're very adept at listening to your body. You sort of, mm. sort of have the, the mind body connection, but most people actually don't have this. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's not something we're born with to sort of have the ability to, to listen to, I suppose the, the inner voice of feeling the stress accumulating and, and things are not going right. Because if you have that in some sense, you have the ability to then kind of make adjustments on the fly. But I think the, the challenge most people have is, you know, they don't have this, um, connection and and then they just at some point they realize like oh my gosh it's gotten like really bad like Mm. i I didn't notice this creeping up on me over time and you then you get into you know depression and other kind of like much more severe conditions which could have been avoided had you had the early signals so i think actually for people who are not (laughs) sort of they don't have the the benefit of of your background and, and sort of spending all the time kind of building up this capacity is like hrv is kind of like a cheat code where you can sort of hack your way into yeah. getting a number on the system. And I think, you know, because I, you know, just from a startup context, people know these kind of rules of thumb that most people, they can handle like one number, right? Like if you just yeah. give them one number, like HRV, that's the number. And this is going to determine how you're going to do things in your life, whether it's work or training. I think that helps people because when you give them like, you know, the whole library of stuff, you open up the treasure trove and there's all these different metrics. It's like, well, they're moving up and down and different times. You don't really know what's correlating with what. And you easily sort of end up in a situation where it's like you're reading all this data, but you're learning nothing. So there's lots of data, but no insight. So I feel like, you know, for yeah. most, most recreational athletes, if you're going to do something, I think HRV is, is uh, definitely the place to start with. For sure. And given these two experiments I just talked about, I mean, I really recognize the importance to also look into the hormonal system and, you know, the nervous system and, yeah. and HIV exactly does that. I mean, it's very easy to track your heart rate and, and track your fitness based on heart rate, but it doesn't take into account your hormones and your, and your brain functions. So the HIV really does that very well, where it also combines those, those, those nervous systems and, and takes it into, into, into account. And I think that's a really much more powerful data point than, just your heart rate, for example. Um, so I can definitely see that. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, because like, uh, you know, I think for looking too deep into the science, but for most people, something like heart rate, it's more of a lagging indicator. Right? Mm. So you've already done something wrong and it's sort of like starting to show, right? Whether you have an actual fever and you're getting sick or 
you know, you have, if, if you're training and your heart rate is steadily going up in terms of your resting heart rate, you have to train, train pretty hard. But I think the, the beauty of something like HRV is more, it's actually more of a leading indicator. So, yeah. you know, me meaning it's much more usable. And, you know, I know sort of been pushing you to start kind of testing and using HRV a little bit more. Um, and, you know, that's going to be interesting to just kind of see your feedback, whether, whether actually, whether, because you can compare the internal voice versus the sort of hard data to see whether there's, there's something to HRV. Is it, is it giving you new information or just kind of confirming uh, what you already know of, of your body? Yep. Yeah, I'm starting to test it more now um, with your app. That's a great tool. Um, on it and while and also I'm comparing it with what my watch just telling me just another tool um, and I'm curious I mean curious to just compare these different data points um, and, and, and reconcile it with how I feel about my body with my body mind connection as well um, it's certainly interesting yeah. and do you quantify your actual running yeah I mean there's certain just data points which is just distance per week, distance per month. That's normally a big one. Elevation per, in meters and pace in uh, kilometer per meter uh, per minute. Um, yeah, they are just the obvious ones. Uh, and again, again, based on my experience, I know that I have to sit, I have to hit certain volumes and certain pace and certain elevations just to be ready. Um, yeah, that's how what I normally do. Um, okay, and, and so when you say like you you sort of collect this kind of data is, is are you putting this into a spreadsheet or you, you have running apps that you use or sort of like, where does that data go? Yeah. I mean, there's the, the apps provided by the hardware. So right now I'm using this mm. new watch brand from us and this brand has a very nice new app. Then you have uh, the famous big S Strava, which, which mm. does also some, some analytics and you can track us track the volume in there. Uh, yeah, but that's that's really it. And then just you can look into your your, your training log and see where, where what's been going on. Um, again, I have to to say it's for long distance trail running. You're not that sophisticated, like compared to an Ironman, who is really about every minute, every second counts, and you know it's like really intense. Like Michael Linz from your previous episode, he was all about that. Um, and again, this is, is you know you just basically say. I go here to to the to to the nature and I see this mountain. I say I want to climb this mountain. I'm gonna run and just see what happens. Honestly, I'm, <laughs> it's like it's a 25k, 20k, 30k, 40k. It doesn't really matter. I just let's just go. Uh, mm -hmm. It's really more like this whole idea of being out there and pushing yourself up the hill and and working with your mind around strategies. And that's more fascinating to me. Okay, can we? Um switch gears a little bit. I'd, I'd like to, cause you've mentioned recovery a few times, just kind of delve a little bit deeper. Cause you've, you've talked about sleep. You've talked about, um, you know, yoga every day. Uh, I don't know if you mentioned meditation yet, but I, I know that that's, that's part of the mix, but like, what, what is your recovery program? If you will, like maybe on a daily basis, like what, what do you literally do after a run? Mm. And then are, are there things which you would only do after like a bigger race or something where you're like, okay, now I know I've really like taxed my body. So now the next few days looks like this. So what, what are those mm. things for you? Yeah. First and foremost, again, it comes down to nutrition and I am like last year when I switched to the mainly vegetarian diet, um, at the point it was actually vegan diet to be honest I realized how fast I can 
the cover, just given the fact that you have to eat more vegetables and given all the antioxidants and other, you know, magnesium and calcium that is in the vegetables, you, yeah, I, my recovery time probably doubled, like uh, uh, or half, sorry, halved. Um, and that was for me just fascinating. I was able to run much more than before. Um, so there was just big shift last year um, in terms of nutrition. Now, I think when I recover, I make sure I get lots of sleep. So I love my afternoon naps. So I have my naps now and then to, to make sure I feel, I feel rested. And we can really feel after a nap how my body is just more flexible, it's more recovered, it's fresher again. Um, I do make sure I have my sodium and my potassium intake controlled, given, you know, these climates here, you sweat a lot and this can have, again, if you don't have enough sodium inside you, then it's not, not going to be that nice for a few days. Um, and with that, yeah, I, I do the typical stretching. I, um, make sure I uh, drink lots of water. That's really important to me. But then nothing really unusual, to be honest. I mean, after a race, you, yeah, you have your massive burrito or some kind of wrap that just feels amazing, but I think that's just very normal. Uh, um, nothing, nothing special there. Um, yeah, I think that's, in summary, that's it pretty much. Um, yeah. Do you, do, do you like, um, do you use uh, a lot of stretching and mobility work uh, in your recovery routine? Yeah, I do. I, I really, uh, as much as possible, like every, every, everywhere I go, if I find a table or something, I, I stretch. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, again, yoga is a great tool there. One more thing, actually, which I recently looked into more is protein again, mm. um, how much you can use protein for your recovery. And, and because there's this kind of this, I guess, misconcept, misconcept, misconception around protein is about building up muscles for bodybuilders. And so I never really looked into protein because I always felt like I don't want to be a bodybuilder. I don't want to yeah, look yeah. that strong. But actually, it occurs to me now looking more into it that it's also clearly important for recovering the muscles. And so I do eat more eggs. I do take more nuts and other, you know, more beans and uh, lentil and the likes to really get my protein up again um, after the run. I think that's also a major um benefit for for a good advantage for my recovery time absolutely now you you mentioned uh, previously that you eat about what 70 90 grams of protein a, a mm. day and your caloric intake is is sort of on par as per where it should be what is your because because you you're putting out massive amounts of calories because of your your high training volume what is your caloric intake currently roughly so i mean at average it's again on just the baseline is 1800 roughly calories um yeah. but yeah like yesterday's run for example what, what, i burned like three and a half thousand i think um and my watch keeps saying that not sure if it's true but let's say three and a half thousand yeah so adding to the base you're crossing four or five thousand calories a day um and then you've got to make sure that you put the right food inside you again um and then it's all about yeah rice and mm potatoes and, and pasta clearly sure, um sure. yeah yeah now, now do you actively track your calories i don't i i did it for several months two years ago yeah two years ago and so i really wanted to understand what's what's in what food and and that helped me to understand so now i kind of you know guesstimate a bit and that mm -hmm. it's already fine i think fine yeah. it's also just too exhausting i mean sometimes i don't know if i find it 
it's rather takes away the fun of eating and and and, and yeah <laughs> i do listen to my body thinking i only need to be 90 percent full i don't want to be 100 percent full so 90 percent full is good enough so I don't fill up completely um and that i think that's what i watch out for the most yeah yeah no i, I agree uh I, i've done the same and i i pretty much probably two months is probably the same time exactly that i counted calories but i think it's actually it's almost i th- i feel it it's like an exercise that should be done in school you know like yeah, elementary totally. school because it stays with you for life you you know roughly what an egg it looks like versus a piece of bread and a cup of rice and you know a can of cola um versus a shot of vodka right so you you, you don't re- need to remember to the exact like number but it's like orders of magnitude right is this 10 100 or 1000 calories and is this like you know half protein half fat or half carbs like once you sort of roughly know, um, I, I think that knowledge, intuition stays with you really the rest yeah. of your life. Mm. Yeah. And also just then accepting that your body craves certain things. I mean, sugar is definitely kind of a bit of a drug. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say that it's natural, but if... if a bit um, uh, obsolete. Yeah, I, I, was, I was saying, I was, I'm a big advocate that everyone should really find out for him or herself what works. I mean, some people crave more bread, others crave more, you know, other things. I mean, I think there's so many labels out there, different diets like keto or vegan, vegetarian, paleo diets, and they all make sense for some people, for others it don't make sense. And I think that's where it really depends on what are you optimizing for? Are you optimizing for, you know, let's say performance nutrition or optimizing for uh, a low carb diet. Um, But it comes down to really just yourself to understand how you feel about food and what you're optimizing for. And mm. because I see people sometimes saying, I want a new diet, let's, I want to do a keto diet without any extra reason. You know, it's like just because it's cool and it sounds good, um, but it might be rather damaging um, than, than actually helpful. Absolutely. And that's where I really encourage everyone just to experiment and understand your ratios of carbs, protein, fiber, sugar, and play around with it and then see how you feel listen to your body and, and listen to the data as well if, 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 if that helps uh, that, that's, that is such a good point and, and obviously myself I'm coming from a different angle to the whole calorie counting perspective I've counted my calories basically almost four years now um, on a daily basis give or take and it just become it just has become such a um, you know um, such a big part of my life that I can't really stop doing it because it's like an automation for me but um, at the same time, you know, um, as per what you said, Marcus, um, it is important for people just to try out what whatever uh, fits you. And it, it's not the case of actually having to track your calories and, and macros uh, forever. It's just simply to learn um, the, the um, caloric content of, of different ingredients and, and how different macronutrient um, splits actually work for you um, to, to, uh, for you to actually achieve your goals um, in your fitness journey um, at the same time. Yeah, I mean, yep. it doesn't sound like Marcus is, you know, huge kind of weight loss uh, yeah. uh, focused person right now. But I, I think, you know, that's still the, the number one goal, actually, for health silly users. So, you know, I, I think it's natural if you think about it, like the, the average person, that's that's kind of a very typical goal that everybody wants to kind of manage, control their weight uh, a little bit better. And I think, you know, when I when I was doing my little exercise was with calorie counting, for me personally, I realized that. S- snacks are the ones that get you mm. you know it's like you, mm. 
people hmm. focus on the meals, but then they're like, oh, I'll just have this bag of potato chips and you know, this chocolate bar and these, you know, salted honey nuts uh, while I'm watching TV and a little bit of ice cream. But it's like, it's okay, because I only had like, you know, two potatoes uh, and a steak and a salad with, with my dinner. But it's, you know, that could be like a thousand calories above and beyond your, Absolutely. your main meals once you yeah. add up the, the snacks. So I think it, it's, it's one of those. And that's why when people choose um, the weight loss goal, we, those, are, those are the activities, the habits that we recommend is to you know, do the calorie counting, do the calorie deficit. Because I think it, until you go to the point where you can show that you actually prove with the data that you've created the deficit, um, the sort of rule, rules of thumb and maybe the intuitions people have about food are, I think, quite misleading, maybe just because, you know, very like, you know, old wives tales about macronutrients and, you know, what, what kind of fats are healthy. I think, you know, we're all roughly the same age. So we probably all grew up in the age of, you know, margarine is healthy and butter is bad and <laughs> all these kind of things. And it's, you know, still mostly stuck with us. It's like, yeah, a lot of us as, as you know, we've done the research to find out what's actually now the better guidance. But, you know, if you called your mom or I called my mom, I'm sure they'd still tell us the same things, you know, like these, these kind of nutrition habits or culture actually seems to take decades uh, to change. So I think if people want to not wait, you know, for the next generation of advice, you, you have to sort of do some sort of quantification exercise to, to find what works for you. As you said, Marcus, you can't just kind of rely on the keto diet or any, any kind of like singular solution. Um, you have to mm. find what works for you. Mm. Yeah. And I think also, again, this comes back to the point of awareness and your body actually really knows what is good or what's bad. And I think being able to listen to the body, I mean, let's say I figured out that again, having a Snickers bar, um, tastes nice for the first 30 seconds and but i just hate the low afterwards i mean i feel so unproductive for 30 40 <laughs> minutes yeah and you know like i, I don't want to have this low afterwards and i just i feel like i'm not efficient enough with my life so my body is telling me you know it was a nice sugar high but then you suffer for an hour let's say i mean suffering in a in a loosening sense but mm. um it, you know, your body tells you, I think just listening to it. Um, and again, it just depends what you're optimizing for. Uh, again, if you're optimizing for full awareness and, you know, being able to execute and be efficient most of the time, then your body will also tell you what's good or what's bad. Absolutely. Some awesome discussions so far. Let's jump a topic um, a bit. Um, as we um, have in the HealthZilla app, we, we've identified some key habits um, for healthy life, um, which which are such as cardio, uh, cardiovascular exercises, uh, high intensity interval uh, work, ten thousand steps, and so on and so forth. And now, as as summer is coming in 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 the um, uh, northern hemispheres, at least, and and a, and a lot of people are looking into potentially starting um, on their running program uh, from scratch, uh, for example, being beginners and so forth. So Marcus, what would be your sort of, um, advice on how to design a running program for yourself to avoid injuries and so forth? Yeah, I think if you're really a beginner, you should basically start with two things. The first thing is to be able to run on a certain pace. Um, and let it be six minutes per kilometer pace. That's a good starting pace. And make sure that your form is good. 
I think it's super important that you need to invest in, you know, how you hold your hands, how you lift your knees, how, you know, how you touch the ground to make sure that you at that pace have a good form. Um, and invest lots of time into, into that kind of training. And the second thing is just to then do slow runs, but a bit longer. So like 5K, 6K, 10K, but not too fast. Again, I think that's really more just to build up some, some endurance and some kind of cardio. So these two things, because I see people jumping too fast to speed because they have certain goals ahead of, you know, and, you know, they win a certain time, 10K or half marathon, and they're getting too fast without having a good form. And that actually will, you know, come back later with, with injuries and so on. So it's taking time to invest in a good form at a certain speed. And also building up some some cardio with with just long but very slow runs i think these are the two main starting points if you want to get out again and enjoy a sustainable running yeah um, some some excellent tips indeed um in terms of and, and i'm really um interested in this myself because i i've sort of developed a love to running just in the last two years or so so i've never never enjoyed running before that always been loving crossfit and weights and all that stuff and just um, um stumbled into running uh in the last few years and endurance running um faster runs as well everything but i've never really looked into um the the form um aspect of my running um and it is it is interesting how because you're obviously close to a profession <laughs> professional runner um and you are um uh, advocating heavily um on to investing into into your form so that would technically mean that you uh, we should invest in some sort of a coach running coach as well yeah that's that's definitely one way of doing it um I think it already helps to just watch YouTube videos um, mm. and get inspired there. I mean, there's a lot of coaching tips online available. I mean, I myself, I watch my like, nonstop videos of Kipchoge, you know, the marathon runner yeah, and yeah. Big, Big Kehle. And just looking at them, how they do it, it's just first and foremost, beautiful running. It's just very enjoyable for me to watch this. It's, it's like, like porn to my eyes. Yeah? Um, and mm. secondly, but also you just see how they move the body, how they move the arms and, then run, go and run with a friend and, and he or she can comment on your run and compare to the video. I think it's a good start. You don't have to invest in running coach immediately. Mm-hmm. I think that's really more when you really want to you know, go for certain times and go for certain person records, I guess. Indeed. And, and then um, earlier, earlier on, you mentioned um, something about shoes as well. Um, uh, people are quite, or many of us are, can be quite enthusiastic about um, exercise gear, myself included. But I've, ne- I've never really invested any big money into running shoes. Is that something that from your angle is important? I think it's besides the form. The form comes with running shoes. It kind of goes, goes both ways very important topic um again there's no golden formula golden recipe for the right running shoes that comes through testing because if people have different feet uh in general i would advocate just very normal running shoes that mm. give you the right balance i wouldn't go for either too cushioned and not at the same time that little cushioned um clearly some brands are really marketing their cushioning very well and I think that actually makes you more of a lazy runner because you're incentivized to run more on your heel, which actually mm. is damaging your joints and your ankles. And um, naturally, we are born 
be running and that normally happens on the forefoot if you right now take your shoes off and you run on the beach for example you can see that you're running actually on the forefoot that's how we that's how we actually naturally run so shoes should actually support the natural way of running and again if you buy new shoes you know do do a quick analysis on the video on the, on the treadmill and see how it looks like if you're too much on the heel i would say rather not get those shoes because you know mm. you would feel the pain later that is that is such an interesting piece because and it comes really close to my own experience as well i've always been <laughs> a heel runner and i i i've mm. bought i bought the shoes as well just based on how it feels uh with my heel running technique so it's it is actually that you can um uh, uh, you know have an impact to your form by simply selecting the right type of shoes as well totally and yeah i think i see more and more of a trend luckily online people are investing more time and effort into into running on, on the forefoot mm. maybe midfoot for now um that's a natural way of doing it it either can happen through the shoe or happen through the form um but it definitely is worth spending time into it and thinking about it and also just being aware again when you go for next run how does it feel and maybe it, you know you just spend more time running on the forefoot and be aware of this um rather than being a lazy heel runner <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah indeed indeed now, it's been such an awesome and in-depth discussion, Marcus. I really appreciate um, um, yourself and Aki um, for this one. Aki, are we missing any, any key topics here? Well, uh, you know, Marcus and I have known each other for uh, what, three, four years now, uh, kind of in the Singapore fintech uh, scene. And, you know, most of the time when we meet, we, we haven't talked about uh, running or... or um, exercise much we usually talk about uh, history uh, or meditation so uh, his history might be a little bit out of bounds uh, from the context but maybe that could be a place to kind of just um, in the discussion on you know your current meditation practice and and what role it's kind of currently playing in your life because I remember you've, you've been on retreats and you know at some point you were doing uh, quite a lot of um, you know meditation uh, every day morning evening so what's what's the current practice like yeah, you're right. Um, meditation was really, I think, the tool besides running a few years ago in Singapore to set a few things right, to put it this way, um, and help me to get my mind more sharp and more focused on what's important to me and what I want to do. Uh, again, helping to raise awareness of my feelings and being able to work with my emotions much better, uh, being less impulsive, being more zen so to speak um and i really enjoy that and i still really enjoy that i think i don't anymore invest like i don't anymore put aside certain times a day for meditation i'm combining it with on the one hand side my yoga sessions so after mm -hmm. my yoga uh, i do lots of breathing exercises because um, for me meditation was mainly just emptying my mind focusing on my breath and, 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 and really just being in the moment. And I think that's, for me, part of the yoga in the morning when I do you know, some, some more resting after the yoga. I do some breath works as well, which I haven't talked about much, much about yet in this podcast, but breath works also is an amazing tool for healing and recovery, by the way. Um, so for another episode, maybe. Um, and I do that. And, and yeah, doing running, I do spend a lot of time meditating, doing running, especially going for long runs. You, you synchronize your body and your mind. Um, and your co-founder Aki 
Ned has taught me lots of lessons there on, for example, you're counting every single step when you run. Um, and that really forces you to empty your mind and forcing your mind to be synchronized with your physical movement. So I'm incorporating meditation practices kind of in my lifestyle in different parts, but I don't anymore put aside half an hour or one hour of meditation, for example, because I feel like it's happening in different ways and I'm pretty um, emotionally and intellectually aware of myself at the moment. Okay, yeah. No, I, I think um, kind of a few interesting points uh, there. I think, you know, broadly, I suppose people now with the, the sort of popular meditation apps, they tend to associate meditation purely with the, the act of, you know, sitting down in the yeah. lotus position, uh, you know, for 10 minutes with kind of a guided meditation. But, you know, I think certainly there's a broader category of mindfully aware activities, which, you know, could include things like, uh, gardening or walking or, or running or yoga, breathing exercises. So I think probably between the, you know, the things you're doing, you're spending a pretty good chunk of your day uh, in a kind of more mindful state rather than yeah. Yeah. emails, you know, notifications, uh, TV, YouTube, uh, all this kind of in your face. Correct. I mean, that's exactly it. I think what taught me meditation was, as you say, being the now, being in the present, being mindful, um, and again, observing yourself and your reactions to things in life and not overreacting to a certain extent, not, you know, being equanimous as Vipassana has told me, has taught me. And I think that that really is now a baseline for how I approach many things in life and yeah, emails and other things I don't do much anymore. I'm basically in the kitchen baking my energy bars and, and then otherwise working with ocean plastic. And that's also, you know, so it's not much anymore of a, office job mm -hmm. which happened in Singapore where I think I needed extra meditation time mm -hmm. to, to compensate yeah. for, for that intensity. And just, this is something I've been thinking about because I think a lot of people, they, they start meditation or they do meditation as a sort of tactical survival tool, just like you were sort of saying, you know, in the office hours, you sort of felt so, you know, kind of uh, tight after the day or whatever you you sort of needed the extra emotional capacity that you could find through through meditation but can you just speak a little bit about the the maybe difference in your experience your journey from going from this kind of like tactical meditation where you're almost like it's it's you know day-to-day -day kind of de-stressing to going to building up these more kind of longer term capacities where it sounds like you in some sense evolved of course yes changing some of the lifestyle characteristics but you seem to have built up over you know your your time meditating certain capacities where you don't necessarily need uh that that kind of daily escape as much as you needed before yeah <laughs> it uh, it does come down to a bit how you feel about yourself and your environment i believe and if you are in a fairly synchronized state with you and your environment, I think you feel the flow much easier. And again, I had my lessons learned in Singapore and Southeast Asia, and I've been very grateful for what I was able to, to do and achieve there. Um, but also came with a cost clearly mm -hmm. like everything in life and and where I think Singapore is a great city to 
to put yourself into a business environment and drive forward your career and be attached to certain goals, I also learned that I had to, again, balance it out a bit with understanding a bit more how, who am I without those goals? Who am I without those attachments? Um, and that where meditation was really a powerful tool for me, is a powerful tool for me still. Um, and made me able to really listen to my inner voice. And that, that, that gave me this, you know, when you have the inner voice talking to you the entire time. And again, I think that's where you come into the flow when you really live that inner voice as well, because you're really fully synchronized with who you are. Um, and so the last few years, I've been really trying to, to go down that route. I compared a bit with a stick being in the river, you know, when you can either decide to flow with the river or you're kind of edging into the edges a bit and, you know, it kind of against the flow. And I think meditation was kind of streamlining the stick in the water and being able to go down the river you know, as part of your daily flow anyway, because you are taking your journey anyway. You, the journey is happening anyway. So it's up to you how much you want to be part of it and be flowing with it or how much you want to kind of not listen to your inner voice and trying to be against it. Um, and again, that's where meditation as a tool is fantastic to, to streamline the flow. Um, yeah. In, in, in summary. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's a challenging topic to generalize because yeah. it's, uh, th these are such, I think, personal, descriptions of of the inner life in some ways you know without being a psychologist or a philosopher it can be quite hard to you know communicate to somebody else what benefits directly are you gaining from meditation and over what what time scales but i do almost yeah. feel it's it's you know i don't know if it's a correct analogy but we were talking about calorie counting and you know that being mandatory i almost feel like you know, meditation practice, it's a little bit like calorie counting for your soul. <laughs> that, mm. um, I think everybody should do it at least for a while because, you know, maybe in your case, this meditation practice um, revealed certain maybe fundamental characteristics about uh, yourself and things you, you prioritize, things you want, and things which maybe felt suddenly superfluous and allowed you to maybe be more confident in then making, you know, those decisions about your lifestyle and how, how you want to basically spend your life. hundred percent. And I always like how you put things, Aki. I think you did a good job there. <laughs> so I, 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 I cannot agree more that in a, my, my personal journey with meditation was being able to manage my emotions and being able to be more object, objective with my goals and with who I am. Just being able to, um, I kind of, if I want to visualize it, take the emotion outside of me, put it into a box and observe it. That was such a major step for me personally to, mm -hmm. to not anymore react to all these different things in life, cravings and, you know, the fear and anxiety just let them be and look at them objectively. And I think that kind of peace that I kind of established through that was so useful and so powerful to then, you know, just accept the journey and, it's happening anyway. Um, and yeah, just this meditation practice is, is helping me so much with, with being objective with, with life. Yeah. 
It's such a such a deep and insightful advice. I, I agree one hundred percent. Meditation's been a, been a really big eye opener for myself as well. One of the topics you mentioned, uh, Marcus, um, uh, earlier on is breathing, and as that sort of con- connects into meditation and recovery as well. Maybe we just um, dive um, ever so slightly deeper into your breathing um, practices. Um, what types of uh, breathing methods do you do you use? I would deduce last year to the Wim Hof um, technique and that was opening up another dimension for me, how you can work with breathing and again on a very micro level, how you can use oxygen to work inside your body and your mind um, on the cell level really, um, where you become aware of your body much differently and you get elevated in certain states Mm. just by breathing fascinating um and i've got friends actually in the running community who are experimenting even more than i am how breath works could be beneficial for your running so i'm not yet there to talk about it but others am and it seems especially the healing aspect you know how you heal your body through breath works can be very beneficial for your recovery again for if you're doing endurance running or any kind of sports i guess um and yeah i think that's it's it's a mix of meditation a mix of recovery it's a mix of um getting high on oxygen and i think those are very interesting aspects absolutely i'm I'm a big fan of uh, the wim hof method myself i'm doing it doing it almost on a daily basis the the whole getting high on your own supply and how it sort of resets your central nervous system uh in the middle of the day simply staggering and uh, i've I've been a big fan of um, breathing techniques um, in the the recent past as well in terms of you know because you can technically use breathing to anything like like reset your state get more energized fall asleep and all that so it, it, it is such a big part of controlling your mood and recovery and everything um so it is that that's why it's it's such an uh, interesting point yeah and it actually interestingly ties back to our you know discussion around um hrv and, and sort of accessing or hacking the the central nervous system but you know the breathing is, is the natural biohack because it, it's the only bodily function that is both autonomous um, and, and manual. So you, you can take over uh, control over your breath and, and this allows you to then, you know, like we, we Hoff would say, kind of access those, those deeper levels and, and, you know, control your heart rate and even, um, you know, control your central nervous system. And, and, you know, you, you could directly see those in, for example, your, HRV readings. So it's kind of an interesting um, mm. pool, I suppose, which is, you know, with Wim Hof and other techniques, obviously it's, you know, thousands of years. It's not like Wim Hof invented breathing. He, he did a lot of, um, you know, studies in uh, the yoga teachers and spent a lot of time in India. So that's, that's obviously the, the inspiration, but I feel like it's now in the, the Western world, like meditation was probably popularized, you know, 20 or 30 years ago already. I feel like breathing is maybe like the next um kind of trend that's that's sort of been there but you know i don't think it's it's mainstream necessarily to the same extent as meditation is but i feel it's it's such a interesting maybe nuance to to the overall kind of health and wellness regime i would probably if i had to choose i would you know if you think of like what are the the healthy habits people can start and make a difference in their life right away i would probably feel that you know, generally exercise, meditation are are the sort of you know superpowers, and then then adding breath on top can be kind of a little bit of a multiplier that can help you make more of 
as Nico said, your sleep, your exercise, recovery, and, and can fill some, yeah. some gaps. Um, but it's also, I, I think it's like meditation. That it's, I feel it's quite subjective that, you know, I, I also do the, the Wim Hof practice, but I mainly do it um, when I feel I'm getting sick or my, my data is bad. So I'm sort of, when I'm in a slump, physically or emotionally or mentally, that's when I pull out the big guns <laughs> with uh, Wim Hof breathing. Because I, I do feel it's such a powerful intervention that, that it's, in my case, subjectively, almost feels like it's not something I want to you know, use too lightly because um, I, I feel it, it it's somehow exists in the same continuum as meditation. But meditation feels like it's, it's gardening, you know, the, the flowers. But um, Wim Hof feels like it's much more of a visceral, direct, you know, intervention um, that I feel, you know, you, you need to find how to use it with these, these other tools. And then it can be really powerful if you sort of find how, how to mix it up as it sounds like you've sort of now discovered your, your personal recipe. Yeah, I mean... You can almost argue you can spend 24-7 with all those different tools. <laughs> and uh, it's great to just be aware of it. And I think you can just pull the right thing into your life whenever needed. Um, and yeah. I do believe you have to have certain discipline and techniques that you have on an ongoing basis. And then you also know what's good when necessary. And this comes down to experimentation to say, okay, now I need a Wim Hof because that kind of makes sense now. But again, I can't do it every day because it would be too much... Uh, apart from my running and yoga, for example, but others say Wim Hof is my baseline, and then other things come in. So, again, I think that's that's a great thing of just being aware again what's good for you and what's bad for you, and, and taking from there. Yeah, if, in a funny way, you know, I, I didn't really actually think it would go um, in this direction on, on this uh, discussion, but you know, since, since you're so largely kind of driven by this kind of inner voice, both physically and mentally, I think it, in, in a funny way. Um, it's kind of what we're doing with Healthzilla. You know, we're bringing in the, the healthy habits, the breathing, the meditation, the different forms of exercise and recovery and sleep and all these things that you're kind of doing intuitively. Uh, and then we're layering the data, um, you know, with the HRV and our stress score to kind of tell people how to optimize those activities based on, you know, how their data looks like each day. So if you're having a bad day, you do some breathing and meditation and, and, and so on. Because I think it's like, you know, it would be fun to say to everybody like, Hey, just, you know, do exactly what Marcus is doing. But like most people, you know, don't have the don't, context don't. <laughs> of the background. Yeah. Right. Like it, it's, yeah. you've been on a long journey and I think it's like, exactly. At the end of the day, I think the beauty of technology, if anything is, is we can sort of jumpstart people to sort of get a notch or two above in terms of levels and start getting some of those results rather than have to, you know, I guess struggle and, and, you know, really invest time effort, money to kind of find, find the voice. Maybe we can jumpstart and get them on the right track a little bit quicker. I think yeah. that's, that's kind of a cool uh, summary here. Yeah, how, how I see it um, regarding the app as well. I mean, I do believe that we are living in an age where certain technologies are not making us more aware. So in your case, you use technology to be technology, you know, and you're helping, you're having technology to help raise more awareness of yourself because you have a lack of awareness because of technology again. You know, I think that's a, <laughs> that's, that's kind of, that's kind of a, a cycle there where, you know, you can argue why would I need this? But as we are getting less aware of who we are, what we need to do because of all the different things around us and all these inputs, 
having tools like yourself, I think that's pretty cool to um, at least get more information about yourself to, to be more aware. This has been such an such an interesting and in depth discussion so far. It's it's been uh, we've we've covered a lot of ground here. Um, absolutely stunning to have you with us, uh, Marcus. Um, final question to you: Your three top tips for a healthy life. Wow, I mean, again, you probably listened when you listened to what I just said. Um, you can almost pick the three themes that have been very dominant. Um, so I would say just aim for that awareness and just make sure that you want to be on a journey to, you know, raise your awareness through whatever tools you can find technology, listen to your voice, whatever it is. I think that's a very important tip for myself and I think on this journey. Mm-hmm. Secondly, customize as much as possible. Don't take anyone else journey as your own journey. <laughs> so whatever I've been saying the last whatever hour, journey and i've been getting here for certain reasons and i've been looking into it so everyone else out there should please be aware of his or her own journey and thirdly it's really understanding what you're optimizing for and really what's the current purpose what are you after what are you optimizing for absolutely and optimizing also involves a bit of a being active about it I, I just think just sitting back and not doing anything doesn't help but being actively optimizing for something performance or well-being whatever it is just be aware of this and follow this goal um yeah these are my three little little tips fantastic thank you so much where can people follow you uh where can people support you uh yeah the usual ways are facebook um marcus Ginnerk, my name um even if they want to go to the business world i'm on linkedin uh in instagram i have beautiful pictures um of my running and, and the nature that's i think good enough to start with i will put all of these uh, into the show notes so people can find you now how about the uh, the performance nutrition um uh, project you're you're having is, is that live already or uh it's somewhat live it's been tested now myself for the last year uh, a company called leka so you can also find it online it's yeah dot fit on facebook um it's getting into serious mode again i've been very grateful to have dozens of runners testing with the products and mm. we are coming to the stage now to release it to the market and i'm quite excited about this that's fantastic we'll, we'll put all of these links into the show notes um so people can actually go and uh, order some some liquor bars as well uh, <laughs> that would be awesome I'll, I'll try it out for sure myself um, marcus and aki thank you so much for joining us today um and thank you, dear listeners. This has been Healthzilla Weekly, episode number 20, uh, Running for Health with, with Marcus Nirk. Um, and before we go, do go ahead and download the Healthzilla app. If you already haven't done that uh, on the Apple App Store and Google Play as well, do try out the, the fingertips to stress can and start building your healthy habits today. Thank you so much for joining us. Talk to you next week. Peace. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. 
Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.